Good morning, church family. It's good to be with you. Glad that we can be here together to worship God. If you do have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is where we'll be at this morning. And uh, if you're using a pew Bible, that starts on page 983. Colossians chapter 1, page 983. It is good, again, like I said, for us to be here together, for us to worship God together. It's good for us to be together as a JA family. If you're visiting with us, we're so thankful that you're here. If you're traveling through or whatever it may be that brings you our way, we are thankful that you took the time out of your schedule to worship God. It is uh, the best thing that you could do on a Sunday morning to come together uh, with like-minded people. Uh, If you're searching, if you're interested in knowing more about God, uh, we would love to share God's word with you and teach you what God says uh, that you can do to have a relationship with him, to have your sins uh, forgiven, and to start a new life uh, free from past guilt and difficulties. And we are just excited that you are here this morning. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, we'll be in verses 9 through about verse 21 this morning. Uh, Colossians is, uh, uh, Colossae is just a, a city uh, in the, the first century that uh, Paul writes a letter to. Paul writes a lot of letters uh, in the New Testament. He writes one uh, to Rome. It's the book of Romans. Uh, he writes uh, a couple to uh, Corinth, First and Second Corinthians. He writes a number of other letters, but this one's a little bit unique. Uh, one thing that makes it somewhat unique, not completely, uh, but it's one of his, uh, his prison epistles or the letters that he writes while he's in prison. Uh, what may be unique about this one uh, is that it, he writes this to a church that he's never visited before and perhaps never visits at all. Uh, we learn that in Ephesians, in, excuse me, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 7, uh, that it's actually a man named, Ep- 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 <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? Uh, Epaphras, who uh, writes to him uh, and, and, or tells them uh, the gospel to begin with. Uh, so, uh, unlike a lot of the book, a lot of the letters that he writes to that he's visited these places or he has a relationship with them, uh, perhaps later, we don't know if Paul ever makes it, uh, to visit these people, but he has a challenge for them. Uh, he has a challenge for them and he has the same challenge for us today, uh, to walk in a worthy manner, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You see, they, these Christians in the first century have named Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life. Just like you today, if you're a Christian, you have named Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. So the same challenge that he had for them in the first century, he would have for us today. And we think about this, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Well, that's, that's a big ask. That's a big challenge for us to, uh, to wrap our minds around and to understand what that means. So we're going to walk through these verses and I think we're going to be shown exactly what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus who now is the Lord of our life. So let's start here in, uh, verses nine through 14. We'll walk through these verses, make a few points, and then we'll continue on. Uh, for this reason also, Paul says, well, well for what reason? Uh, right before this, he says that he has heard of their love of the Spirit, their love of God, their love of Christ, and he's been praying for them since the very first day he heard about their faith. Uh, for this reason also, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with, with the full knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This morning, if you're a Christian, I am confident, uh, I have an expectation that you want to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus, that you want to live a life uh, that is good and that is in a response to God's grace and the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Let me suggest to you that beginning, in order to, to have that walk, it starts with these three things. Notice again in verse 9, that you may be filled with the full knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So this morning, if you're a Christian, if you want to walk in a manner worthy of God, you have to have these three things. You have to be full of the knowledge of his will. 
You've got to know what God wants. You've got to know what God expects of you. You have to have a, a divine knowledge, divine understanding, if you will. Now, in the first century, it was a little bit different. They did not have the scriptures like we have them today. Uh, they had prophets and they had other people who uh, sometimes got uh, direct revelations from God. Uh, but today, it's very simple. If you want to know what God's will is, you have access to it. You have access to it in a paper copy. You have access to it on your computer, on your phone. We have no excuse today for not knowing exactly what God wants us to do. Uh, this weekend, or this past week, I was at uh, Palmetto Bible Camp in South Carolina and running a week of camp, and I was teaching a class, and, and one of the things, we were talking about the importance of companionship in one of the classes, and I sent two people out that didn't know each other very well, and I gave them probably uh, five to ten minutes to, to talk about a few things, and, and they were able to get to know each other on a very, very extremely surface level, right? Uh, they, they knew each other's names. They knew that each of them were Christians. They knew a little bit about maybe uh, how long they had been Christians, that sort of thing, but there were a lot of questions that I asked them that would be fairly basic information. They didn't have a clue about it because they had just talked for about five to ten minutes. I want to know God's will. Paul says if you want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, you've got to know. You have to be filled with the knowledge of his will. We have God's will right here. Do you think that spending five minutes a day is enough to know God's will? Do you think that coming to Bible class and worship on Sunday mornings and coming back Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, do you think that is enough to be full of the knowledge of God's will? Let me suggest to you that it's not. Uh, would, would it be enough time for you just to spend a few hours every week talking to and getting to know and understanding the, the, your spouse or maybe the person that you uh, want to become your spouse as you're, you're dating them and getting to know them? No, you want to spend as much time with them as possible. You want to know them on a deep level, an intimate level. Well, God wants you to know everything that he needs you to know about your life in response to him. And he's given it all to us. So it is, sure, it's a, it's a church thing to say. But how important is it for us to read our Bible, to know what God says? If we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it starts with the, the knowledge. But then also this spiritual wisdom. Uh, to me, the, the, the easiest way to think about the difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowledge is the information. Wisdom is putting it into practice. So I need to, to know what God wants me to do, and then I need to do what God wants me to do. But then it takes it a step further, and it says, and understanding, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Well, you, you know just as well as I do, whether it's with your, your job or your interactions with your family, that you can know them, and you can get to know them, and you can know the things that they like, and you can know what will make them happy or what will not make them happy, and then you can put it into practice. But then you know that sometimes the situation determines how you should approach someone, right? The situation, their, their mindset, your mindset, what's been going on in their life, what's been going on in your life, all of the, all of the factors that go into it. So you've got the fullness of spiritual knowledge, the, the knowledge of God's will. You start putting it into practice with wisdom, but then you get understanding, or maybe a, another way to put it would be discernment. You get to understand, okay, well, I know this is the right thing to do. I've know I've done it and I've learned, but but there's this continual process of understanding how do I put these things into practice? If I want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it starts with those three things. So, let me stop here and say no matter what we say after this, if you don't start understanding what does God want, and then you try to do what God wants in your life, and then you you recognize your own weaknesses and all the things that you are good at and, and other people are, and, and just all of the factors that go into living the Christian life, then none, none of the rest of it will matter. 
We've got to make forth this effort, to put forth this effort to understand what God wants. And then we notice also, if we continue in verse number 10, so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And he tells us four things here. How do you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? He says, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and multiplying in the full knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might four things that you need to do in order to walk in a manner worthy of the lord he says first of all please him in all respects what does that mean that means that god wants you then more just on sunday mornings god wants your life god doesn't want just you when you're in this building god doesn't want you just when it's time to sit around a table and 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 pray and and uh and and you know to, to be able to uh put on a serious face or a a Christ-like face or a religious face, Uh, but then when you're at your job or you're with your your buddies or you're uh, with the ladies or whatever it might be, that that you act differently in different parts of your life. God wants you to to please him in all respects, in all manners, in every part of your life. God doesn't just want some of you. He wants all of you. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord means to walk in every part of your life with God as the number one most important thing. That means there are sacrifices to be made. That means there are things that you won't be able to, to do, to achieve, to, to accomplish perhaps. That there will be some things you'll have to hold yourself back from and some things that you'll have to put yourself into situations where you don't want to be. It says again, to, uh, bearing fruit in every good work. Uh, that there are things that, that all of us need to do and need to be about, uh, things that God has told us to do, uh, that we need to be about all of those things. Not just the things that are easy for us or that we find enjoyable, but we bear fruit in every good work, even the things that we really honestly don't want to do. You see, there's this problem that, that this, this one command that God gives us that is really inconvenient sometimes. You know what that command is? Love your neighbor as yourself. If we're honest, that's really inconvenient. That's not easy. That's not the natural thing for us to do. The natural thing for us to do is what the world does. Love yourself and don't worry about anybody else. But the thing that God wants us to do is to love our neighbors as ourselves, bearing fruit in every good work. And he says multiplying in the full knowledge of God. There's this continual understanding and, and learning. Uh, again, we were talking about this this past week at camp. We were in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which was pretty hard to teach to uh, little kids. We had like eight-year-olds there, and we were in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, I don't know how much time you spend, and it's not the easiest book. It's not the most positive book. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, it's a pretty negative book in a lot of ways. Ecclesiastes is part of what we call in the Old Testament the, the wisdom literature. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Songs of, of Solomon. Uh, so we, we think about that. And, and one thing that, that I learned in, in preparations for, uh, for teaching the, the adult class at camp was, uh, I, I saw this on, on a video, and I thought it was, sounded really good. You know, Proverbs, we like Proverbs, and Proverbs would be a very easy uh, section of Scripture to have a, a series of lessons on a, a camp theme, that sort of thing. Proverbs, if I were to wrap it up in, in one just quick sentence, you get what you deserve. You reap what you sow. Uh, Proverbs are proverbially true. These things happen. If you do this, then this will happen. And it's, it's just very, very simple and very easy. And it's, it's great for one-liners. You know, we think about um, the one that, that tells us that if we raise up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, you can, you can take a whole sermon series from that, right? And there, there's all kinds of little proverbs like that that are just proverbially true, and you can take some foundational truths from that. Well, Ecclesiastes, if Proverbs is you get what you deserve, Ecclesiastes says, well, not all the time. The race is not to the swift. 
The victor is not always the strongest. The wise person does not always accomplish the best thing. Sometimes the fool does. So Ecclesiastes is is the opposite of that. So if we think about growing in the the full knowledge of God, we recognize Proverbs. Yes, these things are are true, but so is Ecclesiastes. Yes, you, you generally get what you deserve, but you don't always get what you deserve. And then there's another book in the the wisdom literature, Job, that is a perfect example of that, isn't it? Generally, you get what you deserve, but you don't always get what you deserve. Remember Job's three friends, after he's lost everything, they come to him and they have a very Proverbs-type mind. Job, you must have done something wrong because you get what you deserve. And Job says, I didn't do anything wrong. So apparently, you don't always get what you deserve. Job is is the putting together of the wisdom of both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And we need to recognize in our lives that as we, as we live life, that we can continue to grow. And when we continue to grow in this knowledge, that we will continue to please the Lord. And then it says in verse 11, to be strengthened with all power according to his might. Uh, one thing we definitely learned, uh, and I'm going to keep talking about camp because that's what's been on my mind. And I'm still a little sleepy, to be honest with you. Uh, Ecclesiastes teaches us the importance of it, it cannot completely rely upon you and life is not fair. Life isn't fair. And when we think about this, to, when we think about pleasing God, again, uh, please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, growing and multiplying in the full knowledge of God, and that last one being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It, life is not fair, but thankfully your pleasingness to God does not fully rely on you. It's according to his glorious might. Go on and notice what else it says in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And then what are the results? What are the results of living a life that is worthy of the Lord? It says, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. So when we live this worthy life, we get at least these three things and certainly perhaps many other things, but you get uh, steadfastness and patience. That means you're able to endure the, the difficulties of life, the ups and the downs and the, uh, the difficult things of life, life and joyously giving thanks to the Father. Well, what do we give thanks for? Uh, notice what it says. He, he gives, gives thanks to the Father uh, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, who rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We've been rescued We've been reconciled, we've been redeemed, and our sins have been forgiven. And it's not because, it's not because we are living a life that's worthy of the Lord, but we live a life worthy of the Lord because he's done all of these things for us. We recognize he has redeemed me. He has forgiven me of my sins. He has taken me out of darkness and transferred me into the the kingdom of his son of love and and light and all of these wonderful blessings. And because of that, I just want to walk in a manner worthy of that. Have you ever received a gift from someone? Maybe even an inheritance uh, when, when someone you loved has, has passed away and, and they, they give something to you that, that was meaningful to them and maybe it was even in your lifetime and their lifetime meaningful to both of you. Well, there's, there should be, I would think, uh, there, there would be this, this feeling of responsibility of whatever this item is, I'm going to take good care of this item because it was valuable to someone that I love. It meant something between me and this person that I love, so I'm going to try and take good care of it. Well, God gives you his son. 
He redeemed you. He reconciled you, meaning that, that once uh, before, you became, before you sinned in your life, you had a, a, a good relationship with God, but that, that sin separated you from God, and now he has brought you back and reconciled you again. And he says, I, I simply want you to live for me now. I died for you so that you might live for me. And certainly that's a responsibility that we want to take seriously. But who are we supposed to walk worthy of? Again, this is of our Lord, but we learn some things about our Lord in verses 15 through 20. Notice just some of these things, that this is the Lord uh, that we live for. This Lord in verse 15, he is the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, uh, the word became flesh and we recognize that at the very beginning of it uh in the beginning was the word and word was with god and the word was god and it talks about that creation story and talks about this jesus and in genesis chapter one we know we know what the bible teaches us about creation but but what what john is saying here what paul is saying here in colossians chapter one is this lord that we serve he created all of these things he was there at creation. He is the Lord that we serve. He deserves our worship. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, of his body, the church. He has the authority, but not only is he creator, uh, all things hold together through him. He is the sustainer. Verse 18, continuing, uh, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through whom, whether things on earth or things in heaven. A couple things there. Uh, he's the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is not the, the first being, the first person uh, to ever die and be, and be resurrected, but he had a resurrection unlike anybody else's, unlike any other resurrection there's ever been. He died, he came back to life, and he never died again. Instead, he ascended unto heaven. He's the firstborn of that kind of creation, of that kind of resurrection. Uh, we also recognize, notice this, this beautiful, powerful, painful phrase in verse 20. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, again, to, to bring things back into a right relationship with God, ha- having made peace through the blood of his cross. How did God, how did Jesus how did this Lord that you and I are trying to walk in a, a worthy manner of the Lord, how did he fix things? He, there wasn't a negotiation. He didn't sit down at a table and, and, and try to negotiate with Satan. Uh, he, he didn't, uh, you know, there, there wasn't a, a, a physical monetary payment that was made. Hey, how much is it going to cost me to buy all these people back? You know, I, you got, how many bags of gold do you need? It wasn't any, any monetary, monetary payment. Instead, he made peace through the blood of his cross. The blood that was shed on the cross on Golgotha some 2,000 years ago is what paid the debt that we could not pay. The song that we sang earlier. This is the the power, the, the beauty, the pain of Jesus and his caring for us. And then we see also in verses 21 through 23 that we've been reconciled to what? 
reconciled to the hope of the gospel. Notice verse 21 and following. And although you formerly, speaking of all of us as people who have been lost in the past and are now saved, you were formerly alienated and enemies in, the mind, in mind and in evil deeds, but now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Again, verse 22, um, it, it reminds me a lot of what uh, Paul says in other places about uh, Christ in the church, that he wants to present himself, uh, this bride, in all of her beauty. Uh, notice again what he says, um, verse 22, but now he reconciled you, that's you individually, that's us as a body. Uh, he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This is what our Lord does. Because of who he is, not because of what I am. Um, I've said this before. I don't know if I've said it here before, but husbands, can you imagine being in charge of your, uh, your wife's makeup on the wedding day? How would that have turned out? Probably not very well, right? If you were in charge of, of you know, get, fixing her hair the way that it was supposed to be fixed and putting her makeup on the way that it was supposed to be put on and making sure the, the dress was, was all right in all the right ways. If, if it was up to me, you know, it would have been a mess. If it was up to you, your wife would have been a mess. But Jesus takes us in all of our shortcomings and sin and difficulties and failures. And he presents us to himself holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Something that is far more beautiful even than perhaps our brides were. And he says in verse 23, If you continue in the faith, firmly grounded and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. This morning we we talked briefly about the Christ of the church. You see, it's important for us to be a body it's important for us to love one another. It's, it's a good thing for us to come together and have common beliefs based on the word of God. It's, it's, all of that is wonderful. It's important. It's, it's good for us to be a, a church, the church that meets here at Jefferson Avenue. But it's important that we don't forget the hope of the gospel, the Christ of the church that we are a part of, the head of this body. This morning as we think about this uh, hope of the gospel, we recognize in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it tells us that if we uh, confess Jesus as Lord, then that leads us to salvation. If I recognize and I believe that Jesus Christ is a resurrected Son of God, and I'm willing to, to name him as the Lord of my life, I recognize that, that I, I'm going to make a change in my life. It's not going to be about me anymore. It's going to be about Jesus, because I believe, like you believe, that the Son of God left heaven above emptied himself of all his rights and privileges as God and came to this earth and lived a life just like you and I live, with pain and difficulty, success and failure, but unlike ours, without sin. Because of that, he was able to be our sacrificial lamb, died on the cross, was buried in the grave, and was raised from that grave three days later. I believe that. I believe that he was there when God said, let there be light, and there was light. I believe Jesus was there. 
I believe today the air that I breathe and the rotation of the earth and the, its orbit around the sun and, and the fact that we're still able to exist today, I believe he is the sustainer of all creation. I believe that we're here today because Jesus is real. And because of all of those things and many more, I've named Jesus as the Lord of my life. And I fail miserably at that sometimes. How about you? I fail miserably at living a life worthy of the gospel living a life worthy of the Lord. But I know he's worth it. And I want to live my life better. And ultimately, he says there at the end of the passage that we read, don't move away from the hope of the gospel. Ultimately, I take comfort in the fact that uh, in, in spite of all of my failures, and there are many, in spite of all of my shortcomings, and there are many, in spite of all of my, my want to, but my lack of doing what God wants me to do, I don't move away from the hope of the gospel because it's good news. It's good news. The good news is, Andy, in spite of all of your mess, Jesus' blood has already paid that price. And it's good news. And I can't move away from that hope. And and, and ways you move away from that hope is you start to think, well, I can handle it myself. I can be good enough. I can do enough. I can think the right ways. And and we want to be better. Paul tells us, You need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But I don't move away from the hope of the gospel because I realize that Jesus came because I needed him. Jesus came because I need him now. So if you're a Christian this morning, where are you at in your walk with the Lord? We're all walking somewhere. Are you walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? Are you following in his footsteps? Are you doing Jesus himself said to pick up your cross daily and follow after him? Or have you put that cross down? Have you laid it aside? Have you not been walking and pleasing him in all respects? Have you not been doing the things that we've been talking about this morning? Uh, The fact is, you became a Christian because you realized you needed Jesus. Let me remind you, Christian, you still need Jesus. Don't move away from the hope of the gospel. And this morning, if you're here and and you are not a Christian yet, uh, then I would encourage you to become one. The way you become a Christian according to Scripture is you believe that Jesus Christ is that resurrected Son of of God. Uh, You will name Him as the Lord of your life because He's the Lord of your life. You're going to do the things He wants you to do. And what He Himself tells us, that He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Would you repent of your sins this morning? Turning away from the things that you know are not pleasing to God? Would you learn more about things that are pleasing to God and strive to do those things? And would you submit to baptism this morning where all of your sins can be washed away? And because of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, you can have the hope of heaven. I don't know where you're at this morning. I know we have folks here who are not Christians. I know we have folks here who are here just about every Sunday. And you're not a Christian. The invitation is God's. And he invites you to be forgiven of your sins. To be baptized, to die to yourself, and to rise up out of that watery grave and become a new creation. A new creation. And to walk in newness of life. If you haven't thought about that, if you haven't done that, and you want to think about it, talk about it, study about it, we want to do that with you. And brothers and sisters, um, nothing new today. There's nothing new. You knew all the things that we've talked about already today. The simple question is, are you walking in a manner worthy of your Lord? And if you need help with that, we want to be able to help you. If there's anything you need this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.